dear people. Welcome to today's episode of For Real. I'm your host, Kimberly Stewart, and I'm so excited to be here with you and to introduce you to our guest. Stephanie Boyce is a writer, speaker, and director of The Oaks, an absolutely stunning retreat center in Southern California where we have spent some time together. Stephanie lives next to a vineyard in Cali, but she's really a Midwest girl at heart. Stephanie does beautiful work at the Oaks, helping folks get what they need by offering a space to rest, remember, and recharge. I just don't know a lot of people who can love and really listen like Stephanie does. And you're going to get to eavesdrop on how grief and loss and faith and hope have shaped her into just an unparalleled spiritual director. This is a time of year that can be drenched in joy and pain. So I feel like this is the perfect time to talk about both. A quick note before we begin, Stephanie and I cover some very difficult road in this episode, dealing with grief and the loss of children. It is a rich and warm and true discussion, but if these topics are triggers for you, I want your eyes wide open as we dive in. And now to my conversation with spiritual director, writer, and speaker, Stephanie Boyce. Stephanie Boyce. Yes, Kimberly Stewart. I adore you. I'm so excited you're here. Tell us, tell the people who are listening, for those who have not had the great fortune of hanging out with you and drinking a glass of wine, what you're up to, who you are, how you fill your days, who fills your days. Tell us about you. Yeah. So um, I am out here in Southern California. And I live and work at the Oaks. It is a beautiful 240-acre retreat center. And Miles Adcox got together with Bob Goff. Miles is out in Nashville uh, at OnSite. And then Bob is writer, speaker. And um, yeah, they got together and they purchased the Oaks. And uh, we have about 40 bedrooms out here. We run our own programming. We do third-party rentals. And then we help Bob and Miles with their stuff too. So it's fun. I've been here for about 15 months and my main role is Jane of all trades. Um, so I, I think I'm called a director, but, um, I think what that just means is I clean toilets and welcome guests and (laughs) do anything that is required of me. Um, my favorite thing to do out here is to lead our flagship programming. And um, I also do yoga and I am a spiritual director and I have beautiful children And, um, I'm just saying yes to whatever God has for me. So I love it. I love it. And I want to hear more about how all that happened. I do know that you moved to the Oaks at a very strange time in our world history. It was like 45 seconds before COVID, right? I mean, you moved, you made this shift and then silence. Yeah. If, if you've been friends with Bob long, um, you know, that Bob, um, has, has called numerous times with big news. And so, um, the first time Bob called me, he said, Hey, Stephanie, do you want to go to Uganda? Like tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, a few years later he called and he goes, I bought a camp and I'm like, awesome. 
Bob, like, congratulations. I live in Illinois. I don't know what this has to do with me. Um, and uh, he invited us to come out to see if we'd, we'd want to move out here. And then we said yes, which was super scary. But within months, we had packed our house and we were on our way. Um, and then the last box literally was like thrown out the house. I marked it with an Instagram post and the next day earth shut down with the pandemic. So here I am on 240 acres with a raging pandemic happening around me with no friends, no family. And we're like, did we make the right decision? I don't, I don't know about your listeners, but I feel like um, that happens a lot. It's like we take this leap of faith and we're like, okay, I think we've got enough clues to jump. I'm jumping now. And then we jump and we're like, wait, 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 wait. The other side looks good. The other side looks good. Go back. Yeah. Right. So, so, but it was good. It was, um, you know, obviously for people that were affected by the pandemic, like my heart goes out to them um, for sure. But for us and all that we had endured in the years previously, um, this was a really helpful season for us to get grounded and to reconnect and go slow. Um, So it was a good thing for us. Good. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your delightful husband, because you both made this jump and we have heard about what you do at the, at the Oaks and your role. Um, and I have to say, I have not told you this privately yet. So why not publicly on a podcast? Um, I was talking with someone recently who, you know, and who came to one of your retreats, one of the flagship retreats. And this person is not an incredibly effusive person. So not super aggressive with the compliments and he could not contain how phenomenal you were and how, what a beautiful thing you bring to that space and to those days. And he just kept saying she was, she was built for this. She was made for this. And he also said, I really didn't know what to expect. And Stephanie just allowed entrance into this just beautiful, um, weekend where he learned so much and really kind of, um, remembered who he was. And so I know what you do at the Oaks, but tell us about Justin. And I have an ulterior motive with this question. Okay. I love to watch you guys together. You're far too stable and healthy to be a reality show. But if you were, I would totally watch all the time. You're just, I love the way you love each other. It's just so fantastic. And so, you know, I write a little rom-com here and there, and I would love to hear about him and who liked who first. So we met in college. We both went to Eastern Illinois. Um, I was a bartender, Kim. Oh, good girl. <laughs> and hey, it paid the bills. Um, and so I was working as a bartender and he played co-ed softball on Sundays and the good Christian boy he was, um, he would come to the bar on Sundays after softball because it was the only place to go and the only thing to do when you live in Southern Illinois. Um, and so, uh, uh, he came in and he, I think he, according to him, he, he thought I was cute, but he knew better to hit on a bartender. So <laughs> just because of urban legend, or he just had been told by his mama don't more, I think because bartenders get hit on a lot. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I think he was like weighing the odds of like, maybe play hard to get. And it worked. So, um, I gave him my number. Well, actually I gave his friend my number to give to him. 
And he was like, huh, that's weird. So uh, he called and we went to um, Austin Powers was our first date. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh. Yes. That's a good first date movie. A lot of laughter. You don't have to commit too much mental energy. Yeah. You'll appreciate this too. He'll, he took me out to like the fanciest restaurant, which was like Applebee's in town. I love it. Fast forward, graduates, moves home. I, Wait, that was it? Yeah. Like a couple of weeks. And then he moved home. It was like, he graduated. So we met like right in the clutch. And um, I dropped out of graduate school and moved up there a few months later. And then two years later, we got married. So yeah, so interesting, interesting beginning. But Justin is, um, I think everything a girl wants, he reminds me a lot of Jesus, actually, which is weird, but um, humble servant, works really hard, um, great with the kids, loves the Lord, willing to help anyone, Enneagram too. He's funny. And we like, we, we have disagreements too. Like it's, we have like real things too. So, but he's just a good, solid, loyal, good guy. And I think, yeah, anybody that meets him would probably say that too. I'm totally a fan. Okay. You two, I, maybe part of why I love watching you together is because I feel like you just traveled a lot of miles in your short lives, right? I mean, I think you have moved into spaces that lots of folks haven't at this time in your marriage. You've been married how many years? I'm guessing around 17. So tell us about your family. You've mentioned your beautiful children and about some of the, I'd love to hear about why you and Justin seem to have this. Um, there's just a depth to the way that you love each other in a shorthand. And my guess is that can be explained at least in part by the miles you've watched walked together. So tell us about your kiddos. Yeah, we, um, we got married and, um, built a house and then the questions came, when are you having kids? Um, and so we started along that journey. We had, um, Jaden first, um, three years later, we had our daughter, Brooklyn, and we were just ecstatic to be new parents. But, um, I think it's hard to be a new parent and wonder like, is my kid doing what they're supposed to do? Are they hitting their milestones? Like the heck am I doing? <laughs> and, um, and so we were there, Jaden, Jaden was about three, Brooklyn was about three months old. And, um, we took him to the three-year-old checkup and the doctor suspected something was up. And so, um, after some visits down at a children's hospital, we realized that both, um, of our kids had a rare terminal genetic disorder called Sam Filippo syndrome. Um, and it was horrible. It was regressive. So we would have to watch our kids, um, progress and do, you know, bikes and have words and sing songs and eat and um, run and play. And then we'd have to watch it all disappear, um, slowly. And so, um, Jaden passed away. He was 11 and he passed away, um, in 2017. And then nine months later, my daughter, Brooklyn, she was nine. She passed away. Um, so, you know, it was obviously a, a, a decade long journey of learning to work as a team for Justin and I, um, it was a lot of heartbreak, a lot of new normals and, the same birth 
place for our greatest pain was also and continues to be um, our deepest joy. Mm. And so I'm just a really firm believer that joy and pain are birthed from the same place. Mm. And um, I wouldn't change anything maybe but the suffering. Like if there were any points of my kids actually suffering, I wish I could take that. Mm. The things that we learned and the opportunity that we have to be Jane and Brooklyn's mom and dad, which we still believe we fully are. Um, it, it, I think was the greatest gift that God could have given me. Like, I'm so honored, um, to be their mom. And I think Justin would say the same um, about being their dad. And then, you know, as soon as we got the diagnosis, it was like our world had just shifted from black and white into full color. Like we just saw things in a totally different way. And um, Justin also said, I don't think we're uh, done adding to our family. <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to be insane because it's, it's a genetic disorder. So each one of our children has a 25% chance of having San Filippo. So um, I prayed. I prayed for a very long time. And um, I thought God and I were on the same page, which was no. And uh, he, changed, he changed that in me. And I just got to a point where I realized I loved Jaden. I loved Brooklyn. And I would love whatever child that God wanted in our home. And that that child could come however that child needed to come. And that child could look however that child needed to look and have a personality, a disability, whatever it was that God wanted, we would just love because that child would be ours. And so I got pregnant and had to wait um, about 10 months to find out if Ellie um, also had Sam Filippo and she didn't. Um, she was on the other side of the spectrum and, um, as not even a carrier. So, uh, for us, that was a, a really interesting moment again, joy and pain, same place. So we were very happy for her and then really sad for Jaden and Brooklyn, because now we had typical and terminal living in the same house. And we'd have this constant reminder of the youngest growing and surpassing her brother sister developmentally. And then I'd have to teach her and walk with her through death and dying of her brother and sister. So, um, our family has been through quite a bit, but it has for sure shaped who we are. And I think when it comes to Justin and I, it's part of what connects us so deeply is our love for our children mm -hmm. and our pain. I feel like I just had a master class in, um, how to navigate a lot. Um, and all of most of the things you mentioned, I don't want. And so talk to me about that. Talk to me about how you, when you say joy and pain come from the same birthplace and you say it with, um, conviction and I can see the courage in your face, but I also know that's a hard one lesson. And I know you well enough to know that you, you love words and you um, value them. So that's not a throwaway comment for you. That's not something that you think I should hear. This is something that you have absolutely carved on your heart. And so did you always know this? 
And did Justin always know that? Like, how do you, I know you know that now, but talk to me about those first moments before you knew that. I want to hear about your journey. And also with Justin, that's, that's hard for me to imagine in terms of walking all of those mile markers on your own and also linked to someone shoulder to shoulder. I have a lot of friends walking through grief right now and loss. And the way we do this with our spouse or with the people that we love is this halting kind of odd dance. So how did you do that? Well, because we all know folks who've walked through loss and what remains at the end is not where they started and they often don't remain together. So how did you do that? How did you know to do that? What did you do? Um, well, the first answer, you know, is always our faith. Um, that's, that's a foundation. That's the starting point is, um, we had to make a decision. Either we believed that God was who he says he was, or he wasn't. And that was, that was the starting point to shape every sort of thing we either did or believed. We grieved very differently. Um, and the, the best way I can describe it is, um, is our first reaction to when Brooklyn got her diagnosis. So we had, we had received Jaden's and then three weeks later we got Brooklyn's and I was driving home. I had just had a cart full of groceries. Um, I had, it was raining. I had my mother-in-law in the car. I had Brooklyn in her car seat and Jaden, and I <clears throat> saw the phone from the children's hospital, the phone come through I pick it up and she's just like, she also has San Filippo. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I still remember the intersection I was sitting at when I got the call. I have no idea how I drove from that intersection home, but I got home. My mother-in-law was very gracious and she unloaded my groceries. And I'm like, Joan, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm going to go have a cigarette because I am <laughs> freaking out. So I'm like, well, now my mother-in-law knows that. I smoke. I don't anymore, Kim. I mean, if you're ever in the room with someone dying, there's always laughter too. Mm. So there's like these big highs and there's these big lows. And we can absolutely talk about the funny parts of something right. so tragic because that's life. Right. Um, it, it can't be segmented. It has to be integrated in order to survive, in my opinion. I think that's a gift. I think that's a gift unique to how God wired us to be able, I mean, you've talked about the marriage of joy and pain, but I've seen over and over in my own seasons of grief that humor is the, it's just, it's magical. Mm -hmm. it, I don't know. I don't know how, I think God just gave us this beautiful gift that we seldom unwrap. That's the tragedy for me when folks feel like they have to like, oh, I've got to be really buttoned up right now. When really the opportunity to laugh about you going to get a smoke, that's what helped you breathe through that. I mean, not very well, asthmatically, apparently since you were smoking, but in general, that is the, that's a gift to be able to move through those moments, um, with humor. Yeah. 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 And so she put my groceries away and then we went over to the house and, um, I had obviously called Justin and Justin was at the house and I married into like, leave it to beaver. So, you know, everybody loves Jesus. They're they're They sing hymns. They, um, they're just absolutely what you think it'd be like, um, to have three generations of Christians living on the same road. So Justin is laying face down on the ground when we walk in. He's weeping. 
And Joan just gets like over him and lays on her son and she's weeping. And then the grandparents are just sitting in the couch and we're just all shell shocked. And I look over at Brooklyn and she's in her car seat and she's doing what every three month old baby does just like happy as a clam sitting there. And then Jaden thought it was a party. And so he's three. So he's, I mean, he's doing laps. He thinks it's so great that GGB, Gigi Bud and Ama and Bubba, like everybody's in the room and it must be for his birthday. Like he's just like, just so excited as we're just gutted sitting there. And it was in that moment when I looked at my son and my daughter, I said, oh, they're not, they're not gone yet. So I'm not going to let this destroy me. I'm actually going to be better because of this. I, I just will not, I will, I refuse to be crushed while they're still standing and breathing. Mm. And then there was like the next day, right? Like I had to, I had to fight sometimes to get there and many seasons or months would pass where I wasn't thriving. I was literally just surviving and that was okay. Um, but I kept returning back to this declaration I had made that day of like, oh no, no, no. I, I refuse to lay down and die while they're here. But I had full permission after they were gone in my mind of like, I can break down then. Um, but Justin, he, he completely disconnected that first year. He just could not even connect to the kids. He could not find any sort of joy or laughter. Like he almost, he almost moved away from us, not out of the house, but like he, he just couldn't engage. He was severely depressed, crisis of faith kind of thing. So how did that work with you then? Because you're, you've decided you've planted your flag. This is not going to crush us. And we're going to just suck the marrow out of every single moment. And then the person with whom you're walking shoulder to shoulder is like, I'm going to bed. Mm -hmm. So how, yeah. how do you do that? How do we do that when we're grieving differently yes. in our relationships? Yeah. I just had to like find a way to give him the grace he needed to go in the timing he needed. So yeah, there was frustrations. And <clears throat> most of the time it was like walking dead. Like he would just do what I asked, like go to the zoo or go to the museum. And, wow. you know, and he, he was, he was still him. So he was still a servant heart and generous and kind. He just was crushed. And the reason he was, was because he couldn't protect us. And I think as a dad to, to understand, like, I can't protect my kids from death. Like, uh, I can't protect my wife from pain or from the toll that caregiving is going to take on her. Like there's nothing I can do to make this better. And it wasn't until he went to um, a mission trip in India and he, he watched and learned from uh, uh, people with leprosy. There was this colony that he was um, able to serve, which I believe served him even more but they took care of one another. They had joy for one another and they had like nothing except this radiant joy. And they shared what they had. And it, it just, it like snapped him out of the woe is me. Like, whoa, there's more suffering in this world than just me. And then he also started praying for his friends. So he just said, you know what, God, God just knows my heart. He knows that I want San Filippo to be gone. He knows I want my kids to have a cure and I'm not going to pray for it anymore. I'm going to pray for my friends. And he just started picking off his friends. And like, anytime he'd want to pray for our kids, he'd start praying for them. And it was, it was those two things 
that unlocked something inside of him where he, he like snapped out of it and kind of became more and more present to like, Oh, I don't want to miss this. And then that's when he became like, just awakened to the beauty of, of what was in front of us. And, and, and I don't even want to sugarcoat it because it, everything that we've done, you know, we have, we have the bruises and, and the scars. We had to fight a hard fight to keep the perspective. And so I get it. I get why people choose differently because the other way is, is more truthful sometimes. Like you, you have to believe in something bigger than yourself is at work or else you can't. glad you mentioned that because I'm thinking of some friends who are just walking through these brutal moments. Um, and I'm picturing you at the zoo <laughs> when Justin is sure I'll get you a dumb popcorn, but not there. Right. And in a moment in a year where you really needed him to be there. I mean, when you're caretaking for little ones who aren't dealing with any health struggle. That is an exhausting spot to be, right? We all know that those early years are just, they just drain you in beautiful ways and also just a relentless way. And so you're at the zoo, Justin's not in a spot where you are. And you said you just had to decide to extend and find ways to extend grace to him. Practically, how did you do that? Yeah, I think um, grace and space look a lot alike, just giving him some space um, to take the pressure off to be where I am. And then I got my needs met other places. So, you know, we had we had help. Um, grandma lived next door. We had friends and family just envelop us and they were our life raft for a decade. Um I had friends that could hold my tears. So Justin didn't have to. Um, and yeah, I'm sure I got it wrong plenty of times. If he was here to speak for himself, I'm sure he'd tell you, I, I, I didn't do it well all the time. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. It was just so much. And I knew what he was going through and I just had made like a different, a different decision, but I don't even know if it was me, I think it was more of like, well, one person just needs to have an anchor going because I'm sure that when I break down, then he's going to have an anchor and I'll be able to lean on him. And then when we can't, we look outside of ourselves. And I think that's another thing that people generally struggle with for a number of reasons is either the community isn't there because they haven't chosen it. They haven't invited people in. Um, I mean, we had to invite people in to our house. Um, and then that, that was a marriage thing. It's like, there's somebody here all the time. Um, and we never grew out of the toddler stage. So we had diapers for a decade, you know? And so it's, it, I think the divorce rate, like 80 to 90% in families with kids with, um, chronic conditions, especially that pass away. Um, it is just, it's a hard road and there aren't, there aren't a lot of supports and we were very, very lucky. And we know that. I've looked at this. I told you this weekend, I texted Stephanie this weekend 
listeners and um, had been reading some of your writing that you did at the time. And I sat on my couch and I wept and I know your story. And I wept um, for so many reasons. Probably the primary one is that I just really love you and I love your family. And so hearing those words and uh, just the gut-wrenching cry of your heart, am I supposed to cry in a podcast? (laughs) I surely will. So I just so appreciated your honesty and like, I loved this unvarnished way. And today too, the way you're talking about this, that you're not cleaning it up and um, packaging it. But I also wept because I thought, where, where do you put what you know about God in that moment? Right. Sorry. Some people can cry and they sound like Elizabeth Taylor and I cry and sound like I've been around cats a lot. So that's going to be unfortunate for everyone's ears this entire season, but Um, where, so I've turned the prism of your grief is what I'm saying. And I've held it up to light. And I know in my own life that God has this unbelievable track record of faithfulness. But I also know that when I've gone through those, when I've gone through moments where I'm saying, excuse me, where are you? Mm. It can be so hard walking through that and just deciding I'm going to decide to remember who you are. So talk Mm -hmm. to the people who today are in that spot and saying, wait a minute, this is rubber hitting the road right in front of me. Where is God right now? What, what do I take from this and how to, how to walk through that in a way that still, I'll still have a soft heart on the other side. I think if somebody was sitting in front of me, I would spend far more time listening and holding space. Um, because I don't think that there's anything that I can say to convince somebody of that. It's something that they just have to decide, um, and experience. And so what I do is hopefully hold a lot of space and ask a lot of questions. Um, because who am I to say, I mean, the worst thing somebody ever said to me is God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I'm like, come try living my life for a second. Cause I feel like God gives me things. I respectfully disagree. I I get stuff I can't handle every single day because he's the one that's supposed to be handling it. And I think that's it is it's this theology of suffering that our world does not have very well. Um, and so I, I, I still believe that God is who he says he is when he says he's close to the brokenhearted. Um, Even if I can't feel him and even if I can't see him. And that was a lot of my prayer is like, God, I am deciding to trust you based on what I know of you. This moment I'm mad or I don't see you or I, I feel lost because I feel so alone right now, but I would be talking to him asking him like, where are you? And so I'm still in relationship in dialogue. And so I think that's ultimately what, at least for my faith, what was the guiding principle was like, go, go to him with all of this. And if you're going to him with all of it, he can, 
he has a container to meet you in all of these places. Right. And, and God, the father became very real to me because he was a parent that lost a child, a perfect child that didn't have to die, had to die, but didn't have to die. Like he wrote the script. So he could have, he could have saved people in a different way, but he chose this way. And so I understood on like this deep level, like you have sat where I have sat only you had a chance to like, like stop it. And you didn't on my behalf. And so just again, that whole theology of, of suffering and Jesus suffering, you know, coming to the world, um, in humility and leaving the world in humility and like everything in between. Um, and I just kept going back to the fact that God did not fall asleep when he made Jaden in Brooklyn. Like sometimes we think that physical disability or even death is like the worst thing in the world. And the truth is we all die. And the truth is people with physical disabilities have an an illuminating light that if you choose to look, they're radiant. They actually help us take down our own masks. And so when I look at Jaden in Brooklyn, I, I don't, I'm not like, woe is me. I'm like, wow, what an honor because they're fabulous kids. I just wish I had more time with them. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, it's the way that we see the world that shapes so much of how we react to it. And so for people that are in this place, um, that it just looks so bleak, you know, and it's so dark. I'd say, look for the pinholes of light. I think I've heard it say, um, someone say grief is just love with no home. So the idea of losing someone is just like, where do I put all my love? Like that ache and longing. And so what comforts me is knowing that there there is a place to put that longing and that the story is not done, that I'm in the not yet. So those, all those things I think are what make me be able to laugh again and find joy. I mean, I laugh a lot and I still weep when I hear songs. I still weep when I see their pictures every morning, Um, but I'm alive. (laughs) That's what being alive is. I've watched you with folks who are just reeling from grief up at the Oaks. And I have seen how you care for them and how you listen to them. Um, And interestingly, because of your position, I've seen you do that with people who have millions of people watching them and writing about them and um, paparazziing them. It's not a verb, but I write stuff so I can make up stuff make up words. I've seen that. And then I've also seen folks who are wide eyed and not even really sure how they got to the Oaks. Right. So I've seen you step into that space over and over. And I'm wondering how that has worked in your present position and your work. How does your love of and experience with and mothering Jaden and Brooklyn and Ellie, how does that transfer itself on the daily with what you do in your new job? Um, it's, you know, it's fun because, um, I'm probably best known for 
Jaden in Brooklyn and I used to do some speaking and stuff like that. And I'd share openly about them. Um, but here at the Oaks, most people don't have access to my story and they're coming to work on whatever they want to work on. And so I don't, I don't share my story. Um, and that's intentional unless somebody asks, of course, but I don't lead with that. I just say, I'm Stephanie and I'm welcome to the Oaks. And so what I hope is that the light that is in me, um, all the things that I've learned from JMB, because they were my greatest teachers, that by how I receive others and hold space for them is in a direct correlation to, to all that I've experienced. Um, it's my resume of a space holder, so to speak. And so for me, when I get outside of myself and realize it's not my job to fix, it's not my job to give advice, it's not my job to cheer up, it's not my job. My only job is to like not talk and to be fully present to what they have to say, believing that that person across from me has everything inside of them to be able to navigate the life that they've been given. So when I look at you and go, she's got all she, she needs. She does not need my opinion. She does not need my three helpful tips. Like she really just needs the time and space and margin to be able to listen to herself. Well, Oh, it's like the pressure falls off and I'm just like, tell me more, you know? And, and I use a lot of, you know, breath. I'm like, you know, like just sit. Oh, right there in the silence. And, and that's what we don't have in our world. We don't have silence. We don't have margin. We don't have anyone not interrupting us. Um, we have grossly neglected silence and our ability to pay attention to the still small voice. And that to me is what can be trusted. And so at the Oaks, my, my only job, I believe, is, is to set the table to hold the frame and to watch people paint whatever it is they want to paint. And, um, and that is the greatest joy. There's nothing, um, complex about that. And yet it's like the hardest thing for people to do. Sometimes you do it so beautifully. I am so grateful to you for how you are continuing to teach me. I'm so grateful for your friendship and I'm hoping that every human being listening will somehow make their way to you at the Oaks because it's a, it, you're right. It is a beautiful, physically, it's a beautiful space, but I think what sets it apart is you and your team and the people who just blow open the doors and say, we have room for you at this table. We want you to paint. You need, we would love for you to get what you need. You do it so well, Stephanie. Thank you for doing this great work. And thank you for taking time to talk to me about it. I think you're awesome. Kim, I think you're awesome. And I need you to come out here to the Oaks because you help Bob with his speaking stuff. And, and if he's not, if he's not speaking, then I don't get to see you. And so I don't know what it, I need to do to make that happen where you're out here weekly. Thank you for joining me. God bless you. We adore you. Thank you for what you're up to. Thank you. Don't you just want to hang out longer with her? Oh my goodness, Stephanie, so wise and so kind. I'm 
just so grateful for what she's teaching me about how to live in abundance, no matter the season, right? And how to grieve well on my own, as well as help those around me to grieve well. Be sure to find out more about what Stephanie and her team are up to up at the Oaks by going to the Oaks Center website and by following them and Stephanie on social media. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening in today. Listen, if you loved hearing Stephanie share her wisdom and me respond by cat crying, will you just take a couple seconds and make my day? I would be so grateful if you would follow for real wherever you get your podcasts. And for extra credit, will you please just type a quick review? That kind of thing is a gift that keeps on giving to me and to my team. And it also really helps other people find out what we're all about here. So we would love it if you would just take a second to write that review. We'll be ever grateful. And we will show that gratitude by hugging you fiercely when we meet you in person or by performing an interpretive dance in clogs. Your choice. Much love to you all. Thank you for joining in on the conversation. We'll see you here soon for real.